Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's do it again. Man, it is so good to see you guys. I missed you last week. We were off for Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're like me, you love Thanksgiving, but you also are like really glad to be back at your regular thing. I almost felt like I needed a vacation from my Thanksgiving break. I don't know if you felt me on that. Uh, it's like you do all the stuff and you, uh, you do all the, the food and everything else and you have all the family stuff. And then you're like, man, I just want to get home in my own space, my own stuff and get back to life. I need a vacation from my vacation. Uh, but tonight when we are looking towards the future, I just want you to know that God wants to do something powerful tonight in our study of the scriptures. I feel like the Lord has a very special word for us when it comes to living out our faith uh, in a very authentic way. At Kairos, one of the things we really care about is being real, being people who like really live out our faith authentically, not trying to be anything that we're not. And as we close out our study in the book of Daniel, we're going to see a picture of an authentic person living out the gospel in very real ways. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, this is one of the most... Uh, famous stories in the entire Bible that we're going to be looking at tonight. It's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I'm guaranteeing that most of you have encountered this story in some form. Maybe you like read it when you were a kid, or you heard it in church, or you read it in your Bible, or you watched the Veggie Tales about this, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm going to just tell the story, and then we're going to look at a couple key observations that I think are important for us to understand what this story is about. So the story of Daniel and the lion's den goes something like this. Uh, Daniel uh, was a man who had been captured by his enemies. The Babylonian Empire came, conquered Jerusalem, and took everybody uh, out of that nation state and took them to a different country altogether. And we saw this the first week in our study of the book of Daniel, where Daniel and his friends were located to a new location. They were brought to a new place, and they had to figure out what it looked like to live out their faith in real time among people that did not know God. Uh, and now Daniel is in a new phase of his life. He's old. He's lived a long life serving the king of Babylon, but there's a new king in place. His name is Darius. And Darius uh, is actually a leader in a different empire. The empire of Persia has come and conquered Babylon, and Daniel has risen to prominence in this new administration. So he's like rising up in power and leadership with all new leaders around him. But the problem is, is that most of the people don't like him. The king loves Daniel, but everybody else doesn't like him. They don't want to have an outsider ruling over them. So they come up with this plan to overthrow Daniel. And what they do is they come up with a plan to shame him and sideline him and even kill him because of his faith. It's the only thing that they can find that is a reason to take Daniel down because his integrity is so uh, tight He's someone who's above reproach in everything that he does. And so Daniel is uh, sidelined by these men because they come up with a plan that is rooted in the law of the land. They go to the king and say, hey, king, uh, we would like you to put a decree. And the decree is this, sign into law that for a season, people can only worship you. Now, that sounds weird, right? Like, who would have a law in place that you could only worship the king? 
And many of us today in Nashville would go, man, that just doesn't seem to be right. Like, how could you, like, have a rule like that? Like, that doesn't seem just or fair. But in the ancient world, people just operated differently. This was not a strange request. Most kingdoms had a combination of church and state. It was one of the ways that they, like, reinforced one another. And so the king probably thought this was really natural. It was a way to continue to prop up his power if people believed that he was semi-divine. And so he signs an edict saying that the only person that can be worshipped for a certain amount of days is the king. And Daniel hears about this and decides, I'm going to keep on doing what I do. I, I'm going to continue serving the living God. I'm going to go continue to pray to him. And so he does and is caught in the act and then thrown into a lion's den. And the king is distraught by this. He's like deeply anguished because Daniel is his friend. He sees this is unjust. And he cries out to Daniel the next morning. He goes, Daniel, are you still alive? And Daniel says, yes, I am. I'm here. The God uh, of my fathers, the Lord God, has preserved my life and has rescued me from the pit. And the king, because of Daniel's obedience, then turns the tables on his enemies and throws those men into the, the pit where the lions are and the lions devour them. It's a very bloodthirsty story. And yet, when I hear this story, I'm overwhelmed by Daniel's courage and conviction and the way that he lives out his life. Because he's someone who's the same all the time. He lives out his faith with conviction. He's someone who doesn't care what other people are going to do to him. He's willing to hold fast and believe that what God said about reality is true. And he's willing to hold fast to it. And I want to be like that. I don't know if you want to be like that, but I do. I want to be someone that is known for my conviction and my desire for Jesus, that I love him with everything I've got, and that, would, that people would pay attention to that. And so tonight, I want to talk about what it means to be somebody who's the real deal. You know, it's difficult to meet our heroes. I don't know if you've got somebody that you would love to meet. Maybe you watch them on TV. You're like, I think we could be best friends. Maybe it's Harry Styles or it's, you know, uh, Taylor Swift. Maybe it's uh, some pastor or some other reality star. You're like, man, if I met that person, we would be best friends. I have several people like that that I, I watch on the TV. I'm like, you know, if we ever got a chance to meet, we'd hang out. Uh, and, and for me, some of those people are pastors, okay? Some of those people are pastors. Uh, and, and this is something just like a random thing about my life. It's like I've gotten a chance to meet a lot of very famous, quote, unquote, celebrity pastors of the year. I'm over the years. I'm kind of like a... Call myself like the Forrest Gump of, of pastors. Like, have you watched the movie Forrest Gump? In Forrest Gump, like, he's always in the background at all these major events. Like, he's just, like, there, like Johnny on the spot. I feel like that sometimes. I mean, I've been in rooms where, uh, like, Rick Warren just walked in. He was just like, hi. I was like, it's Rick Warren, you know? One day I was uh, serving at a, um, uh, 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 I was working at a saddle shop when I was in seminary, and I turned around the corner, and there was Morgan Freeman. He was just standing there. I was like, it's Morgan Freeman. Like, he looked exactly like he does in the movies. Uh, and I didn't really know what to say other than, like, you're from Shawshank Redemption. Like, I was just, like, so blown away, right? Uh, and this happened to me with my very favorite preacher. I'm not going to say his name, but, like, you know who he is. And I got a chance to meet him at a, at a conference. And I remember going up to him and shaking his hand. And I was, like, a total fanboy. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so nice to meet you. And then the thought started going through my head. I was like, please don't be weird, right? Like, not me, but I was hoping that that pastor wouldn't be weird. Why? Because it's hard to meet your heroes. 
Like sometimes you meet them and they're not as cool as you think in real life. They just are weird. Like they just have a tough time communicating or they, they think they're, they're awesome or their life doesn't look anything like it does on the screen. And we are very disillusioned. Sometimes the worst thing we can do is meet the people that we admire the most. And yet Daniel is somebody different. Daniel is somebody who's the same all the time. There's no difference between his public persona and his private life. He lives the same all the time. And I believe that if we want to be people who really change the world and live out what it means to be a Christian, we need to be like Daniel in these ways. So here's three observations from this story that I think are important for us to realize as Christians living in the world, as people who want to follow Jesus with our life. And the first one is this, is that people are always watching how you live. Let me say that again. People are always watching how you live. Now you may say, like, me? Like, is anybody watching the way I live? Like, that's impossible. But it's true. The people around you are watching the way that you and I live. Now, I'm a pastor's kid. I don't know if there are any pastor's kids in the house, okay? If you're a pastor's kid, there's a special place for you in God's heart because it's hard being a pastor's kid. It just is. Uh, there's this phrase called the Immaculate Conception, uh, which technically is that Mary was born without sin. It's not a doctrine that most of us uh, Christians hold to, okay? But I believe that actually is like something that people expect for pastor's kids. Like would never sin. Like there's like, you're supposed to be like perfect all the time. And if you grew up in church and you're a pastor's kid or your dad was like in leadership there, you knew that you had to act a certain way or else your parents would feel shamed by you. That's what you thought. Um, and so you like always try to do well. And so when I went to college, like, oh, I, I cut loose for a while because I was like, listen, nobody knows who I am. I'm just going to get crazy, okay? Because I had this burden of trying to be perfect all the time, but it wasn't an inward reality in my heart. And I felt like people were always watching me. I feel this way now in some ways, honestly. Like, not that I want to rebel from this, but like it's weird pastoring in Brentwood. It's a small town. I see people regularly out that know who I am. Sometimes I don't even know who they are. They just come up and be like, hi. And I'm like... He's like, hi, you, you, you're at Kairos, right? And I'm like, yeah, uh, I hope I was really nice to you just five seconds ago. Like literally, it's like one of those moments where you feel like there's always somebody watching you. The same is true for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, people are watching the way you live. And I was convicted by this quote um, I came across earlier this week as I was preparing for this message. Um, there's a story of Mahatma Gandhi. You guys know Gandhi who brought about major change and liberated India. Uh, demolished a lot of the caste system. But Gandhi, at one point, was interested in following Jesus, but he was turned off when he came and visited a local church. And he was turned away by the ushers when he showed up. Um, now, we have no way of completely verifying if the story is true, but the story goes that he came to the door of the church, wanted to go in, and because he was too low of a caste in the caste system, he was turned away. And as a result, this is what he says about Christians. He says, I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. That's convicting, isn't it? I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for the Christians. You know, we hear phrases like this actually in today's world, right? You may have friends that you go to school with or that you have a relationship with who say something similar. Like, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Which is a hard saying. 
Because Jesus loves the church. It's his bride. He died for the church. And the church isn't a building. It's a group of people. But it's true that the church is imperfect. And it's true that there is church hurt out there because people hurt people. And it breaks my heart to hear that some people would not want to follow Jesus because of the actions of people that claim his name but don't live up to it. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if the church could be a place where you could find true care, where you could find people really living out the gospel, where people could safely encounter the teachings of Jesus, and that they would be cared for well by the people that attend there? And I'm convinced that that doesn't just happen by some big program or some great speaker. It happens by life on life. And this is what you find happening in Daniel's story. Daniel changes the the attitude of the king of Babylon, Darius, because of the way that he lived his life. And there were some that did not like Daniel, but the only thing they could do to Daniel was to accuse him because of his faith. In fact, let's look at the scriptures. If you guys want to turn with me, Daniel chapter uh, 6, verse 4. This is what they say about him. They say, the administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So Daniel lives a life where he's constantly living with integrity because people are watching. And this is what I want to tell you tonight. Listen, it's a hard saying. It's a hard reality. But you are perhaps the only sermon many people will hear in Nashville. Now, it may seem like that's like, like how could that possibly be? You know, like Nashville's filled with Christians and there's churches everywhere. But you and I know that there are neighbors that live around us that don't know Jesus. Or they've been to churches that didn't really live out their faith. And you have an opportunity to share what really matters about following Jesus in the way that you live your life. And I just want to encourage you to do that. We're going to get into some of the ways to do, to do that well in just a second. But I just want to put it out there. What if people reconciled their misgivings about Jesus because of your life? What if it was a little bit different because of... What if people's lives were just a little bit different because of the way you lived your life? And wow, it's raining loud. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> I hope not, that nobody would go to sleep with that like, little like, sound maker going on. All right. So uh, let's keep going. So that's the first one. First, first observation. People are always watching how you live. Second, our identity determines our actions. Our identity determines our actions. I want you guys to look with me in verse 10. After Daniel hears that they've conspired against him, they put this like unjust law in front of him saying, hey, listen, you you can only pray to the king. Uh, This is what Daniel does. It says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group, found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So, what you find here is like Daniel hears about the law. It's not that he, it's lost on him. He knows that it's in effect. And what does he do? He goes and prays anyway. Now, what would I do? I would probably like be like, you can't stop me from praying in my head, right? 
I'd be like, I'm just going to pray silently to the Lord. Who would know the difference? We'll just like weather this storm and do the next thing. But no, Daniel says, I'm going to continue to stay in my lane. I'm going to continue to be the person I've always been. And I'm going to continue to pray, not just one time a day, not just in my head, but I'm going to go open my windows so everybody can see me. I'm going to pray towards Jerusalem. And here we find something that's really interesting. We find that his actions are directly sourced from his identity. This, this concept of praying towards Jerusalem is not just this random fact that's just thrown out there. It's an indication as to why Daniel is doing what he does. You see, in Daniel 1, we saw, and I mentioned this earlier, that Daniel chose to continue to have his identity as an Israelite, as a child of God, even when it was stripped away from him. And Daniel 1, he said, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to lose my identity as a follower of God. And he anchors his identity into who he is. Here in Daniel 6, years later, what Daniel does is he says, I'm going to continue to keep my eyes towards God's temple in Jerusalem. I'm going to continue to pray towards it. I'm going to continue to hope in God. Even when people are coming against me, my identity is found in my heavenly father. It's not found in my strength or my power. It's not found in my ability to get around this law. It's not found in my ability to be sneaky. It's found ultimately in God. That's what my identity is rooted in. And friends, if we want to be people who are authentic followers of Jesus, we have to be people who choose to have an identity that's rooted in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's rooted in who Jesus is, not in who we are. And what you find Daniel doing here, when, he, when he's saying, I'm going to continue to pray, he continues to draw close to God because God's the only one who can carry him through this because God loves carrying his children's stuff. Our burdens and our pain, God loves to take care of them and carry them for us. So I'm a dad. I've got four kids. Uh, and my kids love to give me stuff to carry. That's just part of the deal, okay? Over Thanksgiving, we went on a big family walk at Radnor Lake. Um, I don't know if you know where Radnor Lake is. It's pretty close to here. It's, it's uh, just north of uh, Old Hickory Boulevard. I call it the Smokies without Pigeon Forge. Okay, that's what it is. Uh, so you can go up there. It feels like you're like completely uh, away from Nashville. And so we descended on that. It was like me, my kids, my family, my extended family, my parents, uh, the the. They're, my brother and sister, their kids, we all like about 30 of us showed up and walked the trails of Radnor. And as we were getting ready to go, I knew that my kids were going to die of thirst halfway through that trip. Because like it happens all the time. Like we get on a, any kind of journey excursion. If I don't pack water, they're going to be like starving or, or thirsty out of their minds. And so I packed both food and water, weighted down a backpack, and I was like lugging it along the way. And eventually they started giving me things back. So like they would eat some of the snacks. And God forbid that they would put those things in their pocket or find a trash can. Nope. What do they do? They give it straight to dad because they know the dad will carry it. They're like, dad, carry my trash. So I like, put the trash in my pocket. Then they started giving me like jackets and coats. Eventually, my youngest was like, can you just carry me, right? And as a good dad, I said, no, walk yourself. Like, like no, I'm just kidding. That's not what I did. I said, of course I would love to carry you because that's what dads do. Dads, good fathers, are there for their children and carry their burdens. And Daniel knows this. He knows this is what God is like. And he knows that he's the one who he can have confidence in. He knows his identity is a son of God. And so when trouble comes, 
what he does is he clings fast to his identity. He says, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to come my way. I'm going to trust you because I know that you have my best interest in mind. And this is not an easy thing for Daniel, right? Because, like, we know the end of the story, but Daniel doesn't. His friends went through a fiery furnace experience, but Daniel didn't. This is the first time that he has to encounter God like this. In this moment, his choice to own his identity was what got him through it. Which brings me to the third observation tonight, which is simply this. Is that people want to know if our faith works. I know that we would prefer, as Christians, for people to follow Jesus because it's true. And it is. But I believe that many of the people that are around us simply want to know if it works for us. Because if it does, then they're willing to give God a chance. And we see this happen in Daniel's story. Turn with me to verse 19. So just kind of skip down verse 19. We find the king calling out to Daniel. This is what he says, verse 19. He says, in the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. So you got a king running to the lion's den. It says, when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God. The king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? I love this. He goes, Daniel, are you dead yet? Right? And he expects a response back. You see, the king was test driving Daniel's faith in this moment. Daniel was living his faith out. The king is watching him, and he's become invested in the way that Daniel lives his life. And he wants what Daniel has, and this is a moment of faith for the king. And the same thing is true for you and I. The people around us want to see if our faith really works. Here's the good news. It does. It does. Not only is it true, but it also gives us hope and really changes our life. So here's the thing I think that we need to really wrestle with. I believe the greatest danger to the church is not atheists out, atheists out there trying to shut us down. The greatest danger to the church are atheists in here, you and me. When we do not live like Daniel, Peter, or Jesus... That is the greatest obstacle to faith. When we look like everybody else, people wonder, why would I go to church? Why would I give my money? Why would I give my time? Why would I do all that stuff if it doesn't change me? And that's what I've been wrestling with as I've been looking at this text today. I'm going, okay, how could we live more like this? How could we be people who showed Jesus through our life? And here's the thing. I don't think we can by our own strength. There's no way we can do that. Daniel wasn't able to do that. There's, like, Daniel didn't go into the, the lion's den like a ninja. He wasn't like, my plan is to fight the lions. That wasn't his plan, right? He wasn't like, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to show the lions who's boss. Daniel's first option was simply, Jesus, would you show yourself to be greater than the lions? That's what his desire was. And here we find a picture of Jesus in this text that I think is so compelling. Because Daniel is a better version, Jesus is a better version of Daniel. He just is the true and greater Daniel. Because what he does is 
just like Daniel, he has a conspiracy against him to put him to death, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus, Daniel is delivered over to death. He's put inside a cave. If you look at the text, they say a slab was rolled over the entrance to the cave and it was sealed. And the first thing the next morning, it's revealed that he's alive. But the difference between Daniel and Jesus is that Daniel's just a man facing lions, but Jesus is the lion of Judah who faces death and conquers it once and for all. And for you and I, if we want to be people who are consistent, it's not our strength doing that. It's not our own power doing that. It's simply saying, I want people to see Jesus in me. I want as much of Jesus as I can handle. And I'm going to live out what I really believe with conviction. And that's a decision I think every single one of us needs to make. If we want to change the city of Nashville, if you want to see revival break out, if you want to see your life matter, if you want to see Christianity not just be a story that you've heard, but actual reality in your life, it comes down to saying, I need to play for keeps. I don't need to just go through the motions anymore. I want to be the real deal. So the question we're going to ask tonight in 120 seconds is simply this. What if we live what we believe? What if we lived what we believe? I don't, I don't know about you. That's a hard question to wrestle with. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't, but you do. See, I think there's a dissonance between what we say, what we believe, and then what we actually do many times. And we look so much like our neighbors. But what if, like Daniel, our first response was always prayer? What if we prayed bold prayers when things get hard? What if we expected God to move when we don't have the answers? I think that kind of life changes the trajectory of our life and others. So here's my commitment to you. I want to live like that at Kairos. And I want you to join me in it. What if we just said, we want to live like Jesus. And we want to live out our faith so that people can see that Jesus Christ is alive and well in Nashville, Tennessee. So just take a minute and ask the question, what if you live what you believe? What would that look like? Let's pray, Jesus, as we enter into this time of reflection, God, I pray that our response will not simply be, yeah, I got that, but rather that you would birth within us a desire for you, unlike anything we've experienced. For that in your name, Jesus.